0: Welcome to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am LJ LaFura. Alongside me, we've got Brandon Karam, and we are a belly-up sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon, how you doing?
2: LJ, I'm doing just fine. Uh, happy Monday, everybody. Hope everyone had a good start of the week, but... We got some stuff to talk about. MLB just released their players of the month. LJ and I are gonna give out our players of the month. It should be a fun episode. We're gonna be uh, grading some trades from the 2020 trade deadline, see how they look now. But uh, yeah, LJ, uh, you have a topic you wanna talk about here at the start.
0: Yeah, we've got for the first time in what feels like a while, we're going to be talking about the ace of the New York Yankees here, the incredible Spider Tack. Um, anyway, Spider Tack ends up getting put on the, or I'm not, he hasn't been put on it yet. However, he has tested positive for COVID 19 in these last couple minutes. This is a developing story as we record. Brandon, your first reactions?
2: Well, I mean, we already lost a, a bunch of our star players to uh, COVID just a few weeks ago so I mean I'm not surprised
0: yeah it's just again it's amazing you know this just further proves how imperfect all of this whole COVID process is the Yankees were the first team to the vaccination threshold and the first team to it by a wide margin and they're the them and the Washington Nationals have really been the only ones to have significant issues and run ins with COVID this year, both of which having two separate instances throughout this season, which is just a little odd.
2: Well, the Yankees like second instance happened within like a week or two. So
0: Yeah, but I mean it's, it's outside of the contact tracing period, I would have to think.
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's I mean we we just got done with the road trip. It's it's not surprising to me.
0: Yeah, honestly, I mean, as for what this does for the team, though, assuming that Garrett Cole is part of the 90% that was vaccinated, odds are more likely than not, it won't be very heavy symptoms. It'll probably be relatively mild, and he shouldn't have much issue coming back from this. But this just is the last thing that the Yankees want right now, I have to think. I mean, you never want it, of course. But this is your star, this is your ace here in a point in the season where you have to get momentum going if you want to make it into the wild card or even make the division race interesting going into the end of the year. You've just made a couple moves that while they're not get making, while they don't make you a lock to win the division this year, come back and win it, they set you up incredibly well both this year and the future. So you have a good amount of momentum on your side right now and not only will you be missing Garrett Cole possibly two starts but you also could potentially deal with of course him being a little rusty maybe him having some fatigue issues when he comes back of course we haven't seen it yet we don't have that much of data really because so few guys have gotten COVID after getting the vaccine so far as to what that's doing in terms of the lethargy i guess you could say that some guys have guys experienced but we saw plenty of it last year across all sports where a guy would get covid he'd come back and it would be weeks to months before he really looked like he was back to his peak shape and looked like he was out there doing the same thing so hopefully that isn't a situation that we see here with Garrett Cole again i doubt it will be but that's something to watch out for because this team needs him to be on point for the rest of the season if they want to make it back into this thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, we could surely use him healthy. Uh, I would rather him be healthy for the last month of the season than, uh, you know, be be battling something now. Uh, and for him to get COVID, look, it sucks, but I'm I'm confident he's going to get through it strong and he'll be back just in time for us to complete our final push. So not that
0: concerned. Anyway, other than that, um, how about we talk about Jonah Haim? Certainly the big story of the weekend as he got his fingerprints all over Texas, his weekend series on Saturday night, they go into the bottom of the ninth trailing Runners on base, who other than Jonah Heim steps up. Brandon, Jonah Heim hammers a ball to right center field, home run, dinger, walks it off, and sends the fans home happy. He then ends up being slated to bat in the bottom of the ninth the next night. Gets a runner on, they're trailing, and he goes for it again. Second dinger of the weekend, second walk-off dinger of the weekend, Certainly a fun time to be Jonah Heim and a little bit of fun for these Texas Rangers fans.
2: Back-to-back walk-off homers is not something you see very often. I can't even remember the last time I remember. uh, I can't, excuse me, I should rephrase that. I can't remember the last time I saw someone do that. I mean, back-to-back is incredibly tough.
0: Oh absolutely. I mean just being in that situation back to back nights. First off, I mean in baseball I'm just throwing this number out there. I can't remember what it is, but I have to if I'm correct the most of the bad teams are floating somewhere around 400. Which means there's a there's relatively close to a 50-50 chance you will be down going into the late inning. And there's less likely a chance that you're going to be down enough that you could come back with one swing of the bat in the late innings. You then add in the fact that there are nine players in the roster. And so the odds of you getting up in that position is slim to none. And not, not none, but like, you know, it's less likely than a lot of other things out there then you go into the fact that you actually have to execute. You have to actually put the ball into play. You have to get it all the way out there. It's got to get over the wall. I mean, we saw Joe Ivano brutally be robbed of seven, seven homers, uh, seven days of a home run this past day, this past week by a couple inches. So like, this isn't something you're going to see every day. Certainly.
2: Totally agree. Uh, Look, I wish that the the Rangers were good because had they been a team that was contending for like a wild card or something, I mean, just imagine what that would do for the clubhouse right now. Back-to-back nights with a walk-off homer, two big wins, you know, for a team that's in contention, that would be a, for sure, a chemistry raiser.
0: Well, it's, it's, I'm sure it's a chemistry razor right now to get it from next to none after the gigantic blow to that entire team, fan base and team, I should say, that they've experienced over this past week. Not only did they lose their franchise star, but they lost their next two best players on that team as well, or two of their best four players, three of their best four players, excuse me in the past couple of days, thanks to the trade deadline with Joey Gallo leaving, of course, and then Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy getting traded to the Phillies. So this team de- desperately needed a pick-me-up in these past few days. Jonah Haim's been there to try to put a smile on people's faces.
2: Well, all right. Uh, I believe our next segment, LJ and I are both going to name a player of the month july uh, we don't know who uh each other selected uh yeah lj would you like to go first
0: um you can if you'd like because i'm gonna be honest i completely got sidetracked uh distracted from what i was actually supposed to be looking at and did the player of the week so for those of you who don't know joey Vado's the player of the week for me um Actually, no, I meant Kyle Farmer as the player of the week. from. But, Brandon, you can go ahead first if you'd like.
2: All right. My player of the month goes to Juan Soto. Uh, finished with a 205 weighted runs created plus a 1.7 war. And his stats are pretty crazy. Nine home runs, 22 RBIs in the month. Slash line of 356. 487, 689, well over a thousand OPS, uh, 20% walk percentage, only a 13% strikeout percentage. He really did it all uh, this month at the plate and nice to see him after, you know, somewhat of a slow start for his standards, uh, absolutely pick it up and is back to where we expect him to be.
0: Um, I'm going to have to go with here. How about Manny Machado? Mm. No, this has been a guy who with all of the hype surrounding this team hasn't been the star that he was when he first got there, which is explainable because when he first got there, there wasn't a lot to get excited about. It was him and Eric Hosmer. That was it. This was before Tatis. This was before, the team started to look like a potential dynasty. And all of a sudden he took took a step back. He took the back seat in all of this. And you haven't heard a lot about his production. He, of course, misses the All-Star game this year. But in 24 games in this past month, he's got a 1.7 war, slashed 365, 440, 753. That all comes out to a woba of 0.481 for the month only struck out 14% of the time while also adding eight home runs for the whole time I know it sounds like I'm just spouting out statistics here but all of those just point to again solid 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 anytime you can have a um, on-base percentage in the mid 400s for a month you're doing something really right and he had a positive defensive impact through all of that
2: yeah, you know i I certainly love to watch him play. You know, a lot of people aren't fans of him because of his style of play. And look, oh, that, he's a
0: dirtbag. Don't get me wrong.
2: He's no, yeah, like he does play play a dirty. But in fact, this guy he's still only twenty nine. His first ten years in the league. I mean, this is a potential hundred war player here for his career not all you know there's only a handful of players that are at 100 war i mean albert Pujols, i believe is at like 99 manny machado is already at like 48 career war and he's only in his age 29 year you know we talk about trout and everything what about the pace
0: that this guy is on again this is a guy you know actually the more i think about it That is surprising because you think about it, you can say, okay, well, he spent the majority of his time on the Baltimore Orioles. The Baltimore Orioles are absolutely nothing. They've been terrible for most of that time with the exception of when he was in his, the very infancy of his career, certainly all of his best years were wasted on some pretty bad teams, but then you stop to think about it. So was Mike Trout and he was able to get the clout. I mean, granted, Mike Trout's still a better baseball player. He deserves to be getting that notoriety. But no no one's talking about these projected numbers for him, even though he's been on a comparably bad team compared with Trout, except Manny was on the East Coast for most of that time. So there's none of that West Coast competition of not being able to get necessarily tap the East Coast market that well, unless you're like the Dodgers. You don't really normally tap the East Coast market too well if you're out west. Nobody doesn't. Nobody knows who you are that much. Manny was on the west, on the East Coast, so there's a serious disconnect there.
2: Yeah, you know, I I think part of it though is that you know the Angels are in LA, and even if they're not, even if they haven't been the best, uh, they've been able to at least somewhat market. And a, a, a super duper star in Mike Trout. Meanwhile, the the Baltimore Orioles have had a lot of ownership issues. You know, a lot of upper management problems uh, over the past decade. And look, it's not surprising to me that they failed to to uh, market Manny Machado. That's probably part of the reason why he wanted out of Baltimore because they failed to market the team well the owners really don't want to spend money and they don't put resources into marketing their stars. So, you know, I don't blame him for, and I don't blame the team for uh, trading him away, but no, you're absolutely right. You know, I, I believe he does need a little bit more notoriety, uh, especially now that he's on the West coast, he gets overshadowed by Tatis, but he is a, just such a phenomenal player he does have up and down seasons where you know it's a seven war season then a four war season but
0: yeah but how about the fact that he's on pace for his best season since he was 23 years old best season (laughs) since 2016 i mean he's already surpassed most other years at this point with over four war at the end of july
2: yeah and it just goes to show that Look, it's so hard to be a consistent six or seven war player year after year after year that we need to appreciate guys like Mike Trout, Jacob DeGrom, you know, so much more because here's a player who we were just talking about is a potential candidate for a hundred career war and he's only had two seasons ever over seven. I
0: mean, it's just crazy. All right well brandon would you like to tell us who the mlb picked as their players of the month for this round of course they can't take the exact same players as us because we both took nationally players this this time around but lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess
2: Haha, in my dentist's office
0: Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready.
1: It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible.
0: Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather.
1: Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com teamready team ready.
0: I'm certainly interested to see who ended up the NL one after our a little discussion here
2: yeah sure let me pull it up real quick uh because i wanted to go over all of the uh picks all right so for the american league it went to shohei otani okay uh, that is his second month in a row that he has got it for the national league it went to joey Votto.
0: you know i can honestly see that again you know i always tend towards guys that statistically gave a defensive impact in addition to their offense. But again, his numbers are absolutely ridiculous. Certainly all above all-star level MVP vote level in the back half of every single season. I'm not surprised even before this past week that he's torn up, he was looking really, really good before then. So I'm sure a lot of these people that picked him I forget how they do the player of the month, but like if it was an MVP style voting where you had 20 guys to fill out the bracket, is that how they do it still?
2: I I think you can just like pick, pick it might one. be five or 10 because they do list here at the bottom of the, uh, the pitchers of the month. They do list some of the other guys who were receiving votes, so.
0: Okay, yeah. So like if it's again, 10, I think you could certainly bring him in to the back half of this before last week and say, okay, this is a kind of under the table, sneaky, but certainly warranted pick. I'm going to put Joey Votto here. And then all of a sudden he goes and does what he did last week and he flies right up to the top for you. No question.
2: Well, all right. The pitchers of the month for the national league, it goes to Walker Bueller. And for the American League, it goes to Jamison Tyone. And uh, here was the stat lines. Walker Bueller, a 1.67 ERA over 32 innings, perfect 3-0 record with 38 strikeouts, allowed no home runs. Jamison Tyone had a perfect 4-0 record with a 1.16 ERA, a 25 to 10 strikeout to walk ratio across five starts and uh, only 20 hits allowed over 31 innings of work. Yeah. LJ thoughts.
0: Um, certainly deserved. I mean, all the numbers are are there. Um, especially, I mean, Tyone kind of, kind of shocked me there until I really shocked
2: me too. Yeah.
0: Looked into it. I mean, it's certainly, he is right up there with a lot of other guys, but The one that I'm looking at here that's kind of shocking is Brandon Woodruff's um, month. Kind of a rough one here. Pitches uh, 30 innings, gets five starts, loses three of them with two no decisions. But overall, all of his numbers here are absolutely solid. This has probably been his most unlucky month of the year which isn't good when every single other person in this Cy Young conversation in the NL seems to kind of be creeping back a little bit. Maybe the fields might be widening just a little bit somehow, even though it's already massive. So this would have been the chance to capitalize on a strong month if if I were him. Now, all of a sudden, you really do have to put Walker Bueller in the mix.
2: Yeah, and to further extend that point, Uh, Here are the players that were also receiving votes for NL Pitcher of the Month. Luis Castillo of the Reds, Corbin Burns of the Brewers, and Tyler Miguel of the Mets. For the American League, Robbie Ray, Alec Manoa, both from the Blue Jays, Kenta Maeda, Alex Cobb, and Patrick Sandoval, two pitchers from the Los Angeles Angels, probably the first time in franchise history that's <laughs> ever happened, that they even received votes. And then uh, Lance Lynn of the White Sox. Yeah, uh, surprised to see Tyler Meagill, 26 innings pitched with a 1.04 ERA. Uh, impressive. You've been trying to hate on Tyler Meagill for the entire month no
0: no no I didn't I I can't remember ever saying a bad thing about the guy about a bad thing about the guy you were like vehemently advocating when we were going through the Mets trading for I don't who was it they were trading for oh Scherzer and we're talking about how great this lineup is and I'm like I would have a hard time telling Tyler Meagill he's out of this rotation right now and you're like oh no 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 and then you look at it i mean this is this yeah, has been no. a great first seven for him
2: yeah now now that i do look at it uh, uh probably it, it is hard to tell him uh that you cannot uh you know okay,
0: and, and again again i say could you imagine if your if your rotation in 2 years from now was jacob de gram Marcus Stroman, Tyler Miguel, k Walker, Carlos Carrasco, and Kumar Rocker. Steve Cohen, do better.
2: All right. The Rookie of the Month for the American League goes to Eric Haas, the catcher on the Mm -hmm. Detroit Tigers. And for the National League goes to... Why have they not put it up here yet? Uh TBA on the the National League is the MLB website has not updated it for the National League yet. TBD won it. But (laughs) I can give you the two relievers of the month. The or as it's now called the DHL Delivery Man of the Month, I believe. Why
0: doesn't it show
2: it? Like why wait a minute.
0: Is it is it still the roll Aids reliever of the year? Because that's one of my favorite things to come across on Baseball Reference. Uh,
2: you know, it might. I, it, it, I don't know why it's not letting me see the re- relievers of the month or the, the other or rookie of the month. Hold on.
0: Oh, no. They ended it nine years ago. 2012 was the last Rollade's Relief Man Award. Yeah, I... It's the end of an era.
2: Um, oh, right here, Jonathan India for the National League gets for it for the rookies
0: again the hunt- the hunt for Reds October is as strong as ever, even if the challenge may be futile, they're here to try to rise to it,
2: and for the relievers of the month, it goes to they didn't post it again okay so whatever we got it we we got the extent of it uh unless I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it one more search i don't know why they don't make it just very easily accessible on their website oh okay R- glacius for the Los Angeles angels wow they had a good pitching month two guys also receiving votes for nL for or excuse me for al pitcher of the month and they get the reliever of the month for the American League. And then for the National
0: League, it is Jake McGee. Yeah, he had, again, yeah, he had a good month, a good month at a time that this team desperately needed it. They continue to pound the competition, do everything they need to. That's going to be such a fun race going into September.
2: It certainly is. If when Trout comes back, they decide that, you know, I I unfortunately think the Angels are too far out of it. But, oh, yes. But when Trout comes back, I'm excited to see uh, if they can, you know, at least string together a few good series in a row now that they seem to want to pitch a little bit.
0: Yeah. Also, we'll talk about this probably more next week as it's about to start. But last I checked, the Mets were losing tonight. That's an absolute no-go right now because Very not, bad. That, that, that's, it's worse than you think. I'm not sure if you have seen it yet, but their schedule to end this month is absolutely ridiculous. They have four straight series in the third and fourth week of August with the Dodgers and with the Giants. I'm sorry. We've talked about them being a potential sleeper candidate that could get hot if they all get healthy and make a run. This Mets team, this Mets team is not going to be all together. They're not going to be this thing that we're kind of wishfully thinking about for the postseason in the middle of August. It's just they're not. They're not all there yet. They're not going to certainly be where they need to be then. And they're going to get eaten alive in a week by those two teams.
2: Well, I've got one one better for you. The Philadelphia Phillies have the easiest schedule in the league from now until the end of the season. So if there was ever a time for Philadelphia to get hot, it is absolutely right now. But, yeah, LJ, you talk about the Mets. I mean, right now the Yankees have a better record than, than they do. First time in the season, I believe, since uh, the first – maybe week of the year, but even then the Yankees didn't have the hottest of starts. I mean, I I don't know what is going on there with the Mets. You know, they aren't ravaged with injuries anymore. LJ and I remember when they were playing Khalil Lee, Janeswe Fargus in the outfield. I mean, they were playing guys that we had absolutely never heard of. Now they go trade for Javi Baez and, They're just on a slide. They still have a negative run differential. Their expected win-loss record has them at three games under It This is just not a good team right now.
0: No. I mean, first off, we can't completely devalue the fact that they're missing their two best players.
2: Not having
0: Lindor and not having DeGrom there does make a difference, even if it's just to the team morale. But regardless of that, both of them have been here for the bulk of the year, and DeGrom doesn't come to that, so more so Lindor, this is the second-worst run-scoring team in the league. I, I just I, – I think it could – they have pieces enough there, guys that make you say, okay, I'm kind of comfortable with this, but they all just need they, – they need to put it together, put it together quick, again – There's just, there's, again, there have been some pretty, we're getting back to another trend from throughout the run of this show. The ridiculous way the schedule was made this year, kind of nonsensically put together. um, There have been some really tough stretches for a lot of teams, tough stretches that would have been known about before the season. It's just kind of wild. I mean, again, they shouldn't be, the MLB shouldn't be, controlling the competition through the schedule making but like it's jarring I don't think we ever see this many just completely lopsided schedules well you know
2: look every year you can certainly make like a case that the schedule was was a poorly made because you're going to get matchups that you don't think are going to pan out at that point in the season when you're when you when you first look at it but I just don't like how they stack the series like that like how the Yankees and Red Sox right after the all-star break had to play each other a million times you know I just felt like it was it's, it's stupid the way that they set that up I mean the Yankees and Rays from now until the end of the season, don't play each other until the last three games of the year. I mean, we basically played every single series against Tampa. Meanwhile, I think the Yankees and Red Sox have three or four more series to play. It gets crazy.
0: Well, what what was the point of holding off a Red Sox-Yankees series until June? (laughs) They didn't play until June. And yeah, not, we went to the
2: first series, right? That yeah, we were, yeah,
0: we went to the first series, yep. There, you can't tell me that it's travel because of teams that aren't in the same city, it's probably one of the closer travels in the league between Boston and New York. It's not that bad, especially if you're flying. So it just, it makes no sense. And I think it really speaks further to the point, the idea of the series being stacked Why on earth who decided to make it San Francisco Dodgers, San Francisco Dodgers home and away in 10 days? Like, it's just, you know, I mean, granted, you should definitely get those games out of the way if it's the West Coast stretch, but you can't tell me that that was the most, that was the only convenient time for all of these series to be played. There's a better way of going about it. I'm also going to bring up the way that the, NL West was managed to start the year. You have back-to-back weekends where the Dodgers have to play the Padres. Great for us. However, there's no reason for them to be so close together at the beginning of the year. There, those types of series, the big series, there's such a better payoff when there's a lot of time in between. It gets to be a different look that you're seeing from those teams Each time you see them, it makes things more exciting. That's why there wasn't that same, you know, feeling towards that second Red Red Sox Yankees series. Like I I certainly would say that the hype was greater coming out of the all-star break into that series than it was for the one at Fenway. It's just, you know, I I think you lose something when you have them play so so much so close together. And then the Giants getting screwed over with this, Um, back-to-back Padres, back-to-back Dodgers thing they had to do in May is the same thing.
2: Yeah, and it's like, look, I'm fine with the teams, you know, not playing for three, four weeks, but not like the Yankees and Red Sox not playing until June because at that point, you know, we were, what, close to 70 games into the season – and it's like, okay, you know, these teams, we already know the identity of both teams and they haven't even faced off and they're two of the biggest rivals in sports. It just, it just doesn't make sense. But, you know, one thing I'm hoping that comes out of the CBA and I highly, highly doubt that it will is that they shorten the schedule to like 145 games or something.
1: Dinner.
2: Play it still in 180 days. You can take an extra two days off a month. It it would just be better overall. Um, I think the whole product of play. Once we get into September, you know, it just seems like I mean, the 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 regular season goes until October 3rd this year. I mean, that's crazy. I know there's not an expanded playoff this year, but April 1st to October 3rd just seems way too long for the regular season and you get some teams like the Mets who earlier in the year member had a lot of cancellations and they got absolutely pounded the second half of the season where they barely have any off days from now till the end of the year.
0: Yeah, I think I, I, I agree with you with that. I just I don't think it's realistic because none of the owners want to give up that money
2: no yes even if it's
0: it's the best thing for the team you're not going to get them to give up that gate currently my question is when does the deal with espn uh they just signed a new one in may seven-year extension okay you see that's the one that's a critical thing for them to Is I think what honestly the solution is expanding the what do you call it? What's that thing? Oh, uh, expanding the national television contracts. Try to get NBC more involved. Try to get Fox more involved. Get more games on on national TV broadcast. Maybe even try to get something somewhere just about every day during the summer, and that might offset your cost a little bit. I certainly think a lot of these – or a couple of those broadcast stations would be willing to take on more of a role for more pay, but part of that comes with the fact that ESPN has had such a controlling stake in what goes on with them having Sundays and Mondays and sometimes Wednesdays throughout the year. That's really the only way to recoup that money.
2: Yeah, well, not only that, but ESPN has, like, all of the regular season – national games except for the weekends on fox but then for the playoffs they only have the wild card game i mean they don't have any sort of ds or anything that's all tbs and fox which you know look i'm not complaining that we don't have espn world series coverage i think fox is perfect for it but you know i would you know you're right i want to see nbc cover baseball I would like to see also, I mean, I was watching uh, the the Olympic baseball today and Tanaka pitched against team USA. so that was that was very cool. but that was a NBC broadcast, like and they did a fine job with it. Shorts the Olympics, but you still have to cover baseball in a certain way. You know what I mean? It's just. I would like to see those other networks try to, try to cover baseball more within the regular season.
0: Yeah, and you know, the other thing too is they're going to be expanding to more and more markets with all of the streaming. I think that's something that none of us really know, even them know how sports in the streaming market is really going to start working because every single one of these groups is desperate for more content. I mean, you think about it, just about everything that's gone to streaming is completely separated on like five different groups. I mean, even you look at soccer, they've there there is a major soccer league on just about every single streaming service. There's no um, like you you don't if you have just that, which is largely what so many of these groups do have to market is, one or maybe two leagues on their platform that's not going to be enough to get people to choose them over another league per se but if you're able to get maybe some baseball coverage in there maybe some minor league coverage in there even you can really i think separate yourself if you're peacock if you're uh paramount plus if you're uh, Hulu or ESPN Plus. So that's going to be something that we're going to have to monitor going on throughout the rest of the year. Or the next couple of years, I should say. Anyway, back to a previous tangent. Brandon, do you want to guess who are the last two winners of the Roll Aids Relief Man of the Year
2: were? Ooh, okay. So what year did you say it stopped at? 2012. Okay. So 2012. Is it one per league or just one overall award? One per league. Okay. Um was Craig Kimbrell? Is that is is that one of them? Was was he pitching then? Okay. Craig Craig
0: Kimbrell took the National League for the Atlanta Braves. He posted a 1.01 ERA with a 654 whip that season, 42 saves. Only three wins though, so he's pretty trash.
2: He was probably only like 23 or 24 then, too, which is nuts for a closer at that point. Uh let's see, the American League. Um trying to think who was good i don't think mariano would have got it that year
0: he i i will i will eliminate that for you he did not however he did win it one two three four five times
2: shocker uh geez who is who are the shutdown closers in the american league then I feel like there's just so many obvious guys that I'm missing. Like, I, the only guys I can think of right now are like all National League. I'm thinking Heath Bell, Brad Lidge, uh, geez, Fernando Rodney.
0: They, they both, they both want Heath Bell and Brad Lidge both won in 2008, nine, and 10. Um, what about
2: Fernando Rodney,
0: it is not Fernando Rodney. I really don't think you're going to get this i'll give you one hint um al east
2: al east not a red sock not a yankee Ooh, all right probably oh you know what i think i know who it is jim johnson yep Yep. Okay. Baltimore Orioles. Yep. I, Baltimore I Orioles
0: closer Jim Johnson posted 51 saves that season with a 2.49 ERA and a 1.019 WHIP.
2: We got to get me on some like sports trivia stuff. That one I had to I had to think hard for.
0: I got a little um, another. Here's a plug for our uh, trivia name uh, player name game for a brief second i got a little too into the wordplay today with the uh prompt today for our clue if you're listening before um gosh probably 11 11 30 the trigger question for today will still be live of course if you answer you get points whoever the top three point getters in the competition will receive prizes at the end of the year those prizes will be mlb daily merch and belly up sports merch so definitely check that out play as much as you want play as much as you can but today's of course was the big hurt frank thomas and of course i had to get a little have a little fun with that provided major damage to the sec the big hurt the major damage
2: major damage yeah you know uh I did appreciate that that wordplay. Uh, also, didn't know that he won two MVPs. I thought he only got the one in the shortened season. So, very impressive.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Again, another guy that you know you you hear the name. I feel like you hear his name talked about more than you actually hear people, um, actually talking about how good he is. Like. You, you, you hear of him, you think more of like that kind of petered in and out, not like superstar, but star enough that people knew his name type guy. Like he doesn't, certainly doesn't get the love that his numbers show.
2: No, I mean, his, his most comparable hitter is, is uh, David Ortiz. You know, you look at some of the other names on here. His sixth most similar hitter is Mickey Mantle. I mean he this guy was the pr- prototypical dh first baseman big power hitter and he was an amazing hitter just just like seeing his stats i would have loved to see him in the, in the 90s because he was putting up like a 170 ops plus every single season and that is That's pretty crazy.
0: All right. Well, we have run about a little over 40 minutes now. So why don't we go ahead and finally get into our main event of the night, grading the 2020 deadline. Of course, this might seem a little out there right now, seeing we just got done with the 2021 deadline. But this is probably the best time of any to really start looking back at trades. I mean, you're now a year removed we've gotten to see what the impact of the major trade pieces have been on the teams and the organizations, at least in the short term. I mean, of course, we realistically, you can't have the final say on some of these trades until you're two or three years out, but a year will certainly do to start. So we're just going to talk through some of the big names, the big deals that happened around the August 31st deadline last year. For starters, this was a weird year to begin with, with it being shortened for the pandemic. You have the deadline moved to the 31st because the season didn't start until closer to the normal trade deadline anyways. So these teams, at this point, you have the expanded postseason and you have a lot of teams who genuinely thought that you were going to be in it.
2: Yeah, I I remember that... (laughs) the season starts and it's like oh we're already a month away from the trade deadline and it's a week into the season jeez what i would do to go back to like the that 2020 season where every every game mattered so much and the trade deadline was just so important because it's like oh like there's only uh 20 games left yet <laughs> 24 of the 30 teams have a have a reasonable chance to make the playoffs. so that was that that was good old times
0: i will never go back to 2020 season that was that was painful except for you that was that was freaking awful um anyway um why don't we go ahead and get into this now starting with what i believe was the very last deal of the deadline last year happening right on august 31st the padres acquire pitcher mike clevenger greg allen and a player to be named later from the indians for catcher austin hedges outfielder josh naylor pitcher cal quantrill and joey cantillo as well as infielder gabriel arias and owen miller um, why don't we go ahead and start Brandon what are your overall thoughts as a grade for the Padres
2: well prior to to a giving it a grade if I remember right the Indians traded Mike Clevenger because he broke the COVID protocol yes and some friends went to a casino when they were in Milwaukee I want to say playing and they broke their protocol. They left the hotel and went to a casino. Didn't tell anyone. And the clubhouse was not, not too happy with them about that. He gets traded to San Diego. And, uh, I mean, it, his stats with them are pretty good. A 2.84 ERA in about in 19 innings of work. Uh, 2.35 fifth but then of course has the arm injury in the off season and is unable to pitch this year. So I'm going to give it like a C, I guess. I mean, because he's not able to pitch this year, Greg Allen ends up on the Yankees. So Padres don't really keep him for long. And then they're going and trading for all these other outfielders this year when they could have just kept him. And we've seen that, that a Greg Allen has been, productive in the 15 games he's played for the Yankees this year so yeah I'm gonna say a, a, a C for right now
0: I'm gonna go ahead I think that's very fair I was actually between a B minus and a C plus on this if I'm the Padres just because this is a guy who can do a lot for you down the stretch like this is easily one of the more high potential picks of course it yeah it was him and it was Zach Plezak That broke protocol. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this was a very clear, clearly because of him breaking protocol that they ended up deciding to trade him. Because you also had Zach Pleasak get sent to the alternate site before right before clevenger got traded. Well, and
2: he had three years of service time left, too. So it's like, why would they be trading him in the first place?
0: But yeah, this is a guy again who will go into it having two next year having two more years of service time for the Padres who already have a solid, solid rotation that he's only going to make stronger. You, you don't get these types of deals every day. So overall, I don't, I don't think I can rip them for taking him even with the injuries. As for the Indians right now, I would have to say this trade's got to be a, a B or B, I I, I want to be stingy with the A's because like you have to hit it out of the park for it to be an A, but I would, I would, I would think it's very fair to see a B because you look at this group. Um, I believe, yeah. Uh, Naylor, Naylor and Quantrill, you also have the seven, nine and 11 prospects in the Padres system in this deal. And then you've got, when you think about it, Hedges, Naylor, and Quantrill have all played significant roles on the major league roster as soon as this year. So they got real major league players from this, and they were able to cut out all of the BS from their um, from their locker room, all of the drama of having Cle- Clevenger do what he did, having guys not happy with him over it. At that time, that was a very sensitive subject. So to be able to get both of those guys out of the equation for the time being was a big part of being able to be successful for them. I think it's pretty clearly a B.
2: Yeah, I'm going to agree with that grade, uh, especially because a guy like Josh Naylor, prior to that very, very nasty knee injury, he, he suffered that took him out for the rest of the year just a few weeks ago. He he was a solid hitter for the Indians. He certainly wasn't above average, but in a for a team that you know has a a a payroll as bad as them, he was certainly a serviceable player. And you're right; these guys made an immediate impact on the Indians. Guys like Cal Quantrill, Austin Hedges, and I mean, they're still young guys. Cal Quantrill's only 24. Josh Naylor's only 24. So, uh, uh, you know, I would say a B, uh, especially because a uh, Clevenger, 30 years old now. So you figure two more years of service time, or well, I believe he's on like some sort of some sort of guaranteed deal where he becomes a free agent in two seasons. But even still, at that point it's like, who's, you know, is he going to get a long-term contract from San Diego as a 32-year-old when they already have so many long-term contracts? So, yeah, you know, I would agree.
0: All right. Well, let's move into another one here. Another guy that was one of the two guys here we'll be talking about that was relevant at this deadline as well as last. As the Marlins, My- My- the Marlins acquire outfielder Starling Marte from the Arizona Diamondbacks for left-handed pitcher Caleb Smith, right-hander Humberto Mejia, and a player to be named later. Let me go try to figure out who that player to be named later was. But overall, Brandon, you can pick who we start with for grading.
2: Uh, sure. I'll pick the. Miami Marlins uh to grade this trade. Look, they get Starling Marte which was certainly a nice addition for them. Well, even though he he didn't hit nearly as well as he did with Arizona, uh he was still a key part into getting that Miami team into the postseason. And then in that postseason, in that wild card against the Cubs in those two games, he comes up with some pretty big hits to to push Miami through that playoff round. So I'm going to give this like a B plus. I mean, especially when you see the return that they got on him. I mean, they only had to give up uh, Julio Frias, who I believe was the player to be named later. Thank uh, you. Julio, yeah, Julio Frias, Frias, and they got back Jesus Lazardo for this guy. So, I, you know, this is one of the ones where I'm close to giving an an A, but LJ, I don't know if you are, but I'm very close. I'm gonna give an
0: A. I think, I think A or A minus is fair because this sets you up. This was the type of deal, the way they played it so perfectly was. A short-term success and a long-term success for the team. Again, I have to give the Miami Marlins props for how they handled this guy because not only did you get him on the cheap with guys that haven't really hurt you, none of those prospects are screaming names. Uh, Caleb Smith this year through 85 innings for the big league club in Arizona has a 504 ERA with 99 strikeouts. So he hasn't exactly been lighting the world on fire and he has three years of service left. So they didn't have to give up too much to get this guy. They get him there. He helps them get into the postseason and win some games there. And then all of a sudden they come in this year, he's playing just as good, if not better than before. And they managed to flip him for, a really, really good young pitcher that's going to be able to be a piece of that rotation if he comes through for many years to come. Of course, having five years of control left on him at age 23. I I, I don't know what there isn't to love about this trade, especially seeing they played it completely smart too with the idea of the contract they offered him. Offering him, I think it was three years, $30 million. There was no way Starling Marte should have accepted that, but you can't doubt blame them for trying to give him that sweetheart deal. As no. for, go ahead.
2: Oh yeah, no, I was gonna say you can't. Uh, you know, for with that contract, I absolutely agree on that point.
0: I I struggle to see anyone in this deal that's going to be a significant trib contributor. For the Arizona Diamondbacks, like, if I'm correct, are any of them in, no, they're not even in their top 10 prospects out of that deal. Caleb Smith has been incredibly disappointing, and he's 30 years old already. I have to give this a D for the Diamondbacks. The only thing I can think of is they already knew what was coming, and you had to get him, get rid of him for something, because he had value, but I have to think there had to be someone else that was going to give you more value than you got out of this deal if you're Arizona.
2: Yeah, absolutely, especially when you see what what they were able to get for Starling Marte at, at this trade deadline. Sure, he's having a very good 2021 season But his 2020 numbers are still not that bad. I mean, he was still over 100 OPS plus. And even more so, you would think that the return for him would be a little bit less now, especially because he is on a rental deal here and is a year older. He's 32 years old. So one front office in Arizona uh, completely undersold this guy and Miami. The other front office completely took advantage of this deal and uh, got a huge return on their investment. So that's a success.
0: All right. Well, we only have a, a time for about one more player before or trade before we get going here for the day. This one's going to be another one from deadline day. Of course, there's a lot more interesting trades that happened before then. I mean, you have... I mean, for Pete's sake, even the Red Sox alone made a couple of huge moves with guys like Brandon Workman, where they absolutely fleeced the Phillies. I should I should mention, I I really was hoping to get to that, but we're certainly not going to have time. But I think this might have been one of the best moves of the day, and that is the Cubs acquiring left-handed reliever some some rando scrub by the name of Andrew Chafin from the diamond from the diamond backs for either a player to be named named later or cash and this player to be named later i did track this one down goes by the name of ronnie simon brandon are you familiar with Ronnie or simon are you familiar with ronnie simon
2: i'm not but
0: that's okay because Brandon ronnie simon was an international signing back in 2017 he is now 21 years old and going into this season had not even come state to the states to play baseball he had been stuck in the dominican league through that point at 21 years old he's making his like rookie league debut
2: Yikes! uh
0: so you can start wherever you wish
2: No, the Cubs trade for Andrew Chafin, for Ronnie Simon. They then sign him this offseason on a one-year deal. And then they're able to trade him for two more prospects. So it's absolutely a win, not to mention the incredible value that he brought to them out of the bullpen so far this season as a lefty a 2.06 ERA in 39 innings with the Cubs. I mean, he was really really good for them this year looking at his game logs. He's only allowed runs in like four or five appearances and he's had uh I think where's it show here? One second. Four or five appearances, he's allowed runs and he's pitched in 46 games this year. So, Just goes to show tremendous value out of the lefty. They're able to get two prospects in return for him at this deadline. And it makes sense. They have no, there's no, no reason for him to still be on the team, especially on an expiring contract. So good for the Cubs here.
0: Um, Before we keep going, we have a breaking story there was a cat on the field during the eighth inning of the, the Orioles Yankees game. And oh, yes. Brandon said there was nothing important to talk about today. This this little dude he honestly
2: moves. No, he was he was hard to catch.
0: He had good moves. Now, good. Not only was he running, first off, the vast majority of these cats that get into major league stadiums and football fields, they all seem to get tired very, very easily and stop in the middle of the field. This dude went the majority of the field length he's jumping up onto the wall crawling across the wall i mean this is really good he easily deserved the mvp chance that he got from the yankee stadium crowd certainly the best player on the field that day he
2: was he was getting mvp chance he was getting the let's go cat chance uh i think the best part was on the yankees ground for grounds crew had about Six or seven guys try to surround the cat <laughs> Yo, over by par- the left field foul pole. And he just runs through the legs of one of the ground crew members down the third baseline. <laughs> and then they finally are able to open up a, a door that leads into the little camera well there to get him.
0: This dude just parkoured himself off of the scoreboard.
2: Oh, yeah. You scoreboard. like that little wall jump?
0: jump. Oh, I saw, I just saw the movie you're talking about. Yeah,
2: right through the legs.
0: (laughs) This dude's got game. This dude's got game. Oh, what a man. Okay, that cat just gained a lot of respect. Anyway, Andrew Chafin. Um, Yeah, this is absolutely an A, possibly even an A-plus for what they got here. I mean, again, this will be the type of one that we look at next year and are able to actually give a really good grade on once we start to see what return they're getting from the prospects they received from the Oakland athletics. But so far, what isn't to love about this? You were able to get Andrew Chafin, a guy who is one of the best late relievers in the game right now. That's not a closer for peanuts. Like this prospect isn't going to amount to anything. It was really offering him rather than cash was really more about just getting him off your payroll, I feel, if you're Chicago, for how long it's taking him to develop. It was pretty clear he couldn't be the one who's um, going to be getting to the league anytime soon. So you have very little risk on that side. He ends up coming in, and not only does he get you those prospects, but he gives your fans at least something to be happy about. That bullpen, before they blew it up, was incredibly entertaining in chicago and it was a huge part of that what was it two week stretch 20 day stretch where they were leading the nl central they, were, all they the were in, in, in content-
2: for, for like they were a, in con- for like a two like i'd say like a 18 day stretch the cubs were all the talk in the national league the nl west got put on the back burner for yeah
0: because they, they were beating all of the best teams
2: yeah, oh they yeah, were... they beat the Mets, the Dodgers, and the Padres, Giants. or in the Giants, yeah, in like a three season. No,
0: it was Padres twice, that was what it was. Padres twice, yep, that's right. Um. Yeah, so this team was a contender for like at least a month during this season, and now all of a sudden they've blown up, been blown up because they're clearly nowhere close. This team, truthfully, never should have been close, but you have a lot of good pieces standing up. First off, uh, Ross has done a great job with this team. And part of that is figuring out how to unlock the best parts of this bullpen, get this bullpen managed well. And it, it paid dividends because those three, Chafin, Tapera, and Kimbrell, were a lights out tandem this year. You couldn't ask for anything more out of that trade.
2: LJ, I found the exact, when the Cubs season died (laughs) June 24th okay so heading so on June 24th they won the first game of the series in LA against the Dodgers four to nothing they are able to beat Walker Bueller to improve to 42 and 33 they then proceed to lose 11 games in a row after this point. Drop all the way down to 42 and 43. So 42 and 33 to 42 and 43.
0: Drake probably bought into the team. That's really what happened.
2: <laughs> He's the ultimate bad luck char.
0: Um. But yeah, that's about all I think we have here today. I will certainly leave Brandon to the outro, but Stay tuned tomorrow for us to go through the 2019 trade deadline, the trade deadline, which of course, we now have two years worth of data on the major leaguers and about a full year's worth of data on the prospects given up if they haven't come up. So we certainly will have a much better feel for what we're talking about then.
2: Yes, and then we will be doing 1989 trade deadline uh, yes. on Wednesday. So yes.
0: Oh, <laughs> also, right. if it wasn't clear, I'm pretty sure we're giving the Diamondbacks an F for that trade.
2: Yeah, that's about their whole season. So. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for listening once again to the MLB Daily Podcast. Check us out, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Play our trivia game on our Twitter. It's all at MLB Daily Pod. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for listening.
0: See you manana.
1: there.